Welcome back to the Music and Movie Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is J.R. Peters. What's up? And Brian Hartman. That's me. Brian, when, when's the last time you podcasted with us? Uh, oh, 2021. That sounds fine. That sounds like a reasonable assumption. I would have said longer. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, told, I told my kids that I was going to go talk to Kissel about movies. Mm. Chelsea said, you're going to podcast? And my kids both said, you're going to be on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> They're so Internet proud of me star, right now. Brian Hartman. <laughs> we're, so, we're so glad to have you back after this long hiatus. Right. Are and we on Spotify? Because they're very concerned that we're not on know. Spotify. Maybe, maybe. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't do any of this shit. I record it and I chop the podcast up after. And then whoever listens, listens. Uh, well, so basically nobody. Now that we're abandoning Facebook, maybe I'll try to get us on Spotify. All right, great. Yeah, uh, you're still the CFO, if I remember correctly. And the CTO, too. <laughs> many Cs. A I lot won't. of board positions, yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, but we at the Munich Movie Club are a group of friends who uh, like movies, like to talk about movies, talk about TV on occasion. And uh, our format is that we select three movies every month, uh, more or less on a theme. The, the theme this month was uh, 2022 Oscar hopefuls. We're still in, in 2022 recap mode here. I just recently posted my top uh, 20 on the website, MunichMovie.club. And that's going to be what we're talking about this month and next month as well. Uh, the three Oscar hopefuls for 2022 that we selected were The Banshees of Inishirin and Elvis and uh, Kimmy, which is is kind of the outlier there. Uh, it was going to be RRR, but I made an executive decision and pushed that off into the future because it's returning to theaters and I would prefer to see uh, that Bollywood spectacle on the big screen, which I will be uh, in the next few days. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about Banshees of Inishirin. This is uh, Martin McDonough's. Fourth film after In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, it is his return to Ireland, although he's not actually Irish himself. He is he has Irish parents, but he uh, was raised in London and went back and forth to Ireland. So it's not it's not totally a return to Ireland for him. Uh, his brother is John Michael McDonough, another playwright slash filmmaker who made a movie called Calvary, which I think this has a lot in common with. Uh, it is set in the Irish countryside. It is about uh, two friends who have neither wives nor children. They have each other, and they have the pub. And uh, one day, uh, one friend, Colm, played by Brendan Gleeson, tells the other friend, Pork, played by Colin Farrell, that he doesn't want to be friends anymore. Pork is dull, and he doesn't want to waste any more time talking to him. Colm doesn't want to waste any more time talking to Pork. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin, initial thoughts. Brian, what'd you think? It was really good. It was it's sad. It reminded me a lot of Calvary. Uh, I didn't know it was um, Three Ebbing's guy, but that makes sense. It's got the same vibe. JR, Banshees, Anna Sharon, what'd you think? Uh, I would give it probably a B plus. Not as good as uh, the other couple movies you've mentioned that I've seen. I have not seen Calvary, but Three Ebbing's and, uh, and In Bruges I enjoyed more. Yeah, but, people in Bruges, definitely. Yeah, but this is definitely good. Love the love everything about it. You know, great, very good movie. Just like one of those where I just wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought I would. Everything about it was good. There's not really anything I can 
knockoff except for like just my entertainment was not at the full level i might possibly be the most enthusiastic out of us three this was my uh number three movie of the year uh per my list posted on mediacmovie.club I, I i love the setting i love the language i love the characters i love the performances uh this would absolutely be my pick if I was voting in the Oscars, it's my highest rated of, of the best pictures, which in like years past, like my highest rated of, of the of the best Oscar of the best Oscar candidates or the best picture candidates have have no chance of winning generally. And I feel like this is a year when my favorite of that slate of that of that slate of ten best picture nominees could very, very well win. I would give it like, I don't know, three to one odds, maybe if I was making if I was making odds. It's absolutely a leap for Martin McDonough, I think, who's who's uh, in Bruce for me is fine. Seven Psychopaths is also fine. Three Billboards, I was extremely enthusiastic about the first time I saw it, and then I watched it again and digested a lot of the commentary about it and came way down on that movie. And I, I just can't imagine the same thing happening with Ben. I've seen it twice now. I saw it once in theaters, once at home, and it's absolutely held up both times. I think this movie is, is worthy of the best of his brother's work, which would be Calvary. Calvary is, is fantastic. Uh, slightly better than this, I think. And uh, just an incredible movie. I uh, agree with that. And how long, when do you get your Oscar vote? What's that going to take? I need to get nominated first. So I need to get hired. And then, well, first I need to pick a craft. I need to like okay. What am I going to do? Am I going to do production design? Then I need to get hired. Then I need to get nominated. You don't have podcaster. Sadly, no, no. (laughs) High volume reviewer. (laughs) The Oscar the Oscar voters are that's that's an internal group. That's make movies. Sadly, like Critics Choice Awards. You're closer. (laughs) Yeah, that that seems more optimistic. Yeah, or like a random assemblage of. Of people like a, a letterboxed some some noble volunteer on letterboxd does like a like a um, letterboxed oscars where you comment on on what your nominees would be in in like the comments and then they compile all that shit mm-hmm. or they send out a google form whatever they do that's as close as i'm ever going to get i think but yeah and she's a bit of sharing would 100 percent be on my best picture on my best picture ballot along with a lot of down ballot stuff which which we'll talk about uh, this is this is a small scale movie. This is a low stakes movie, but it is extremely in the heads of its two main characters, Park and Calm. For them, this is the most important thing that's happening in the world right now. Am I gonna for Park? Am I gonna, gonna continue to have a respectable friend on this island? And for Calm, am I gonna am I gonna get to do what I want with whatever time I have left in my life? Uh, and because the stakes are so high for them, they become very high for the viewer as well. While also, you get to acknowledge that this is silly, which I think is where a lot of the comedy comes from. Uh, as far as like the scales of who you sympathize with most, um, like describe how that changes for you, Brian, over the course of the movie. I didn't care that much about the two main characters until the dude cuts his fingers off. Like, mm-hmm. I just... Like, I wasn't that into it. It was all the side characters. The sister, what uh, the the kid, is it Dominic? Dominic, yeah. Dominic, uh, the animals, the dog, and the donkey. I was all in on them. 
and the two main guys did a good job, but I, I was more interested in how they brought other people into their story and what they had to say. JR, are you are you pulling for, for one of the main guys as you go, or is it just like keeping them keeping them at a distance? Like what are these dumbass Irish guys gonna do next? I was uh I was all in on Podrick, right? Is that how you how do I is that how I say I, it? I think Pod- the character it's it's that's how it's written, but Gaelic transformed into English. Like they're, yeah. they're calling pork over the course of the movie. Okay, that I couldn't remember. Yeah, I know I threw the fucking subtitles on because I was like, "What the hell are these people saying?" At one point, yeah, yeah. But I was pulling for him because I, I, I thought by the end of the movie, this dude was going to figure something out to get this guy. And when that finally, once I realized he wasn't, and he said. He was just like, I'm going to burn your fucking house down. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah, like, fuck this guy. Like, this guy's going to hate you so much that he's going to cut his own fingers off and act like you're the bane of existence. Like, fuck this dude. I'm, I was all in once he, he was like, your fat fucking fingers killed me donkey. Killed me donkey. <laughs> and then fucking was like, I'm coming over tomorrow at 2 p.m. and burning your shit down. And actually did it. I was full in on that. I was super happy when the cops didn't even do anything afterwards. I was all in on that. I was less in on the Dominic and Siobhan or Siobhan. Great. Or you, whatever it is. But though, as far as those those characters, those are my tier two characters. And then Gleason, whatever his character's name is. Mm-hmm. Class. Yeah, calm. Absolutely, don't give a shit about this dude because it's like, okay, great. I mean, what what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here? This di- dude decides he hates this guy, and then it's just like, don't talk to me anymore. What what is he like? Seven? You know what I mean? This is this is perfect. Okay, great. So we got <laughs> we got some different takes on this movie, uh, and again, like this feeds into like my enthusiasm for it because. I am, I, I totally get calm. I feel like I've been calm and I've been poor and I, and I'm afraid of being poor. Uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys haven't, you guys have never had a friendship where you're just like, I can't listen to this person talk to me anymore. I can't no. hear about just like divergent interests and, you know, just as you age and people become interested in different things and. Uh, I mean, like for me, the deadly the deadly topic is like home improvement. Like once someone gets super into home improvement or lawn care, I'm just like <laughs> I'm putting I'm putting an invisible hand between us and pushing you away. Uh, you guys, you guys don't. I have agree to- with you on lawn <laughs> care. You can come hang out on my crap lawn. It'll make you feel a little yeah, bit better. So I got, I, I got people coming over in like two weeks. There's like green onions popping out on my yard and. and some kind of weird clover that is out there. <laughs> you should just use them in whatever dish you're making that night. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I I will agree with you. This diverging interest thing, but it's like I've never had the audacity to be like, get the fuck away from me. You're an idiot. And I've also never lived in a place where there's like 19 of us. <laughs> and have you know what I mean? Like, like you're like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm gonna talk to the other three people that are in this city, and you yeah, just I, have I, to like 
fuck off <laughs> and we're gonna see each other every day like there's i've definitely had like diverged from humans from other people but just like a normal person finds a way to diverge and i guess it's like dominant pot porrick is just too dumb to know that he needs to just kind of back away but it's still like just the way it was handled just felt so it was childish like I, you're gonna cut sounds, your fingers off and shit it's, I, it's I think that the childlike analogy is perfect listening to my kids talk about what happens on the bus and at school like my my kid second grade i mean this is my second grade might be a little mature for how he handles the situation well, I think that's part of it is because there are so few people on the island and they're just going to see each other all the time. Like Colm had just has to cut the cord. And and I mean, yeah, no question. He's harsh. But the sentiment I totally get. And like the, where, the adult thing to do, though, would be like just make up a bunch of excuses. But but he walks past his house like three times a day. I know. Make like I said, make up excuses till the other person realizes. Oh, these That's are probably made up excuses. <laughs> that would never happen. Oh, I've got a music meeting. I have to. <laughs> oh, I have to walk the dog. I need to go throw shells into the ocean. Like I don't know. Busy guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll be there. I'll see you to have a beer at two o'clock. Then you don't have a beer at two o'clock with him. Like, like for him to be like, hey. He's like banging on his door like he does every day. And then the dude just ignores him. And then he's like, okay, I'll see you at the place. I think, I mean, it's still a dick move. But if you're like, every day you're like, I'll see you there too. And then you show up at like six when this dude's leaving or whatever. Or fuck his sister, you know? Like maybe, (laughs) like make him hate you or something. I mean, that is it just It just felt way too... Uh, way too childish, that's all. It's almost like he has uh, like a like a disease or something in the brain. Yeah, he's depressed. He's obviously depressed. But I uh, mean like I mean like sometimes when people get, this is like probably going to come off poorly but like sometimes when people get Alzheimer's they sort of revert back to a childlike state. I, I, I don't think it's that at all. I, th- I think I think it is depression, and I think it's it's like the the drasticness of that. Um, he's been feeling this way. Like, like the takeaway line from this movie is like, "How's the despair?" That's just that's a very Irish way of putting things, or it seems like an Irish way of putting things. And uh, he's probably been feeling this way for some time. He's been feeling this way long enough to where like the priest knows to ask, "How's the despair?" and uh, people that are depressed, you know, after a certain period of time, like do drastic things. Often the times that drastic thing is like a suicide attempt, but this is his version of that in lieu of suicide. Uh, returning to like the skills of sympathy, I, I jump back to Pork 100% at their big like nighttime bar con- confrontation after he's been punched by the terrible cop. Um, just the insult of seeing Combe sitting with the cop in the bar and the way that Colin Farrell plays it is just so brokenhearted. And like, how could you, how could you don't want to spend time with me, but you'll spend time with this guy that, that very much balances the scales for me. I totally get. And and like, as Combe goes on to like mutilate himself, I'm still, I'm still with him. I still get exactly what he's doing. The finger chopping though. I totally get it. I totally get it. (laughs) 
How? That's not even in the realm of empathetic. Yeah, you he's, you sound like a psychopath right now. He's so relieving himself of the ability to create anything, and he thinks part of his depression is his not creating anything. Like what he he stops. He says that he stops talking to Pork because um, I'm wasting time with you talking about your donkey shite when I could be composing music. Which he is capable of and does over the course of the movie. Although you don't have any sense of like if the song that he creates is any good or not. He also doesn't need to. He like what does that have to do with chopping his fingers off? He he, he feels like he's wasting time when he could be doing this other thing, and by chopping his fingers off, he can't do the other thing anymore. So maybe he'll free himself from thinking he has to do the other thing in the first place. Maybe. If he chops his fingers off, uh, I won't feel like I'm wasting time by not composing because I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I think you're maybe thinking about this as this guy's not a psychopath. He's not. No, he's not. He's a fucking psychopath. I never go in that direction. All behavior is explainable. Yeah, psychopaths are fucking, they're missing like brain connections it's, it's explainable. Totally questionable if they're if they even exist it's totally questionable anyway this guy he's not he's not chopping off his fingers to try to do that he's chopping off his fingers because he thinks it'll make podrick feel bad or Porrick or whatever he's he's trying to make his point like this is how serious i am he doesn't have yeah. to go from one to four certainly but he goes from one to four because He's half. He's he's almost there. He's almost free of this, of this like nagging, um, fear of a wasted life over his head, which Pork is like immune to. Pork would never. Pork's too. Pork is correctly diagnosed as too dull to ever think that he's wasted his life, because he has no aspirations to do anything. He has no ambitions. He doesn't think about stuff. And it would be really exhausting if that was like your primary friend on an island after a certain after a certain period of time. I'm just totally on the wavelength of this movie. I don't All know. of the behavior I, makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, like the the one thing this dude gets joy from, no matter what, even when Porrick's talking to him, is going into a bar and playing, composing and playing music with his other people. And you're going to take that one thing away from yourself? Like, like depressed people kill themselves because they're like, I don't enjoy life. I'm going to do the opposite of the thing that I don't enjoy. And so this guy's going, he's not doing the opposite of the thing he enjoys. He doesn't enjoy wasting his life with this dude. The thing, he would do is get away from this dude. This dude's not getting away from him. He's not trying. He's trying harder by cutting off his fingers, even though it's getting rid of the one thing he does enjoy. But that the pleasure he gets from playing music has to be weighted against the feeling that uh, because he has the ability to create music, he should create music. And like, maybe he's just not a good composer. Maybe he doesn't have the, maybe he, Maybe he's too critical on himself. Maybe it drives him crazy. Maybe it drives him uh, crazy that he that he doesn't feel like what he's composing is any good. 
he doesn't really have any sense. He doesn't really have any sense of 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 like like we said, we don't really ever hear the song. I don't think we hear the song. Um, the most important thing is like how he's perceived, how he perceives it. And he, I mean, even he doesn't really know if it's any good or not. Which again is just this thing that nags at him. Just like right, like I don't know. I just watched Infinity Pool, which is about a writer. Infinity Pool is a lot of fun. P.S. And uh, I mean, the character in that movie is ext- is extremely insecure because his first book uh, was poorly received and didn't sell any. But he tells people he's a writer. But all evidence suggests to the contrary that he's bad at it and shouldn't be a writer. Uh, it, it's it's not so dissimilar. I need I to hear what Brian has to say. I don't the the finger thing make no sense. It's not something we've ever seen, so it's at least unique. But I, I don't I don't know if he's a psychopath or not. It just doesn't. It's not something someone does. So that... <laughs> it, it's it's a step up from like cutting your your like self cutting or self harm. But this thing. is like. But who? I mean, I guess as close as you could get is like. And if you break up with me, you know, I'm going to hurt myself. But this isn't even that part. This is a, if you don't break up with me, I I don't even know. I don't even know the phrasing that this exists in the world in which this happens. I I just, maybe I'm depressed, but I totally get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. J- JR, I feel like you might play dating sims. Is that accurate? <laughs> Absolutely not. What the okay. fuck? I feel like I'm interested in like, Japanese stuff. And that's like a Japanese kind of thing. Because like uh, I like anime and I watch some Japanese movies you think I'm yes, like. I think, th- I think it's like a hop, skip, and jump to like dating sims. Okay, well. Yeah, it's a form of video game. Yeah, but no. The answer is no. I dating Sims while watching this movie, where like there is, and 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 you know, feel free to jump in. I do feel like there is a moment when there are several moments when Pork almost backs Comb down, like that he almost fixes the relationship, and then he always blows it by saying, "I'll see you down at the pub." Then. I, I, I think that is so necessary where like Comb and, and again, it makes Comb more reasonable, even though he does chop all his fingers off over the course of the movie. There is a way out of this, but Porik cannot keep his mouth shut. He's he's very much being an E.B. Farnham with like the guy on his shoulder who's saying, just say one more thing. Make sure this guy understands exactly what you mean. Fill this silence. Say one more thing. Listen, you guys, I'm, you guys get I'm, that in the movie too? Yeah. Yes, okay. but I'm I'm not saying that that Podrick's not dull and dumb and annoying as fuck. And I'm not saying that Calm is right or isn't right to be like, this is not bringing me, you know, he's not Marie Kondoing his fucking life. You know, he's not like, you you're not bringing me any joy anymore. But Marie Kondo never said, cut your goddamn fingers off. When your buddy decides, when you decide your friend's not for you anymore, you know what you do? You just keep getting rid of this person. But you just go out of your way to not meet with them. You tell them to fuck off. You keep telling them to fuck off till they decide, oh, this guy's being serious. You don't cut the one thing in your life you do enjoy off, which is making music and playing music. That That's not, you know, quote unquote, 
That's psychopath shit. That's like legit serial killer. Like not, you know, you know what I mean? Like this dude's fucking crazy. Like he clearly, they both have something wrong with them. That's all right. I'm saying. I thought, I think when he like says those extra things at the end, which I I do remember, I didn't take it as uh, anything more than uh, the majority of people tend to talk too much when they're a little bit nervous. And I think mm-hmm. the whole situation made him nervous and he didn't know what to say. So he just kept talking until he ran out of things to say. Well, it's always, let's go to the pub is always the last thing he says. I'm thinking of the moment in particular, and I'm not exactly sure on like the sequence of events. But at a certain point, Porik like barges into Combs' house. It might be after he's cut off his thumb. Yeah, his this finger. is what makes him cut the other fingers off. Yeah, and their conversation is going well until Porik just assumes that everything is now back to normal, and he says the one more thing, and then all the fingers are slamming into his door all of a sudden. I, I he's didn't... just a simple man. He doesn't. Yeah, I also didn't see that as it was going well until to me it was the whole time I was watching it I was like this dude's gonna cut his cut more fingers off like it didn't seem like it was going well it would seem like calm was just like I'm gonna let this idiot talk and then I'm going to cut my fingers (laughs) it didn't matter whether he was going to talk for fucking two seconds or two hours calm like calm just realized that he was the better option was Instead of telling this dude to fuck off in this moment, he was just going to let it happen and then not go see him at the bu- at at the thing. Like, and it felt like that from the beginning. Like from the time he walked in, I was like, "This dude's cutting a f- cutting more fingers off." I don't know how many. You know, you're just like. And then he kept talking, and I was like, "Yeah, he's having a conversation with him," but he kn- like we know he's cutting his fingers off still. Moving on to like the like the filming of the movie, uh, I wrote my review on MunichMovie.club, maybe like three months after I saw it in theaters, and I just kind of assumed uh, that it was bleak, and it was filmed like most Irish movies are, i.e. foggy and gray, etc., etc. And then when I watched it again after after I wrote my review on HBO, uh, that's not the case at all. This is an extremely bright movie. There's a rainbow in the first, like, in one of the opening scenes with Pork, like, having the time of his life on the docks. Uh, just loving life. It's it's green as hell. It's sunny. I, I just hit the bleakness too hard. I feel like this is the most colorful movie set in Ireland has ever been. But when we were all talking about it on our Discord server, we I think we all hit the bleakness pretty good. I don't feel this is a bleak movie. I feel like people could be happy on this island. I don't think they could. No? No. The, if Ireland looked like this, they could be happy. But you can't be happy on an island where your best friend is a is a donkey. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, donkey. yeah, the donkey's cool. But we're, I mean, we're they're literally like this sister is like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like this this isn't a isn't a happy place, as you can tell by literally every other person on the pla- on the island that you meet. There's some crazy woman that might as well be fucking stirring up a goddamn pot. Or she, you know what I mean? Like, this is, she looks like a fucking witch. Like, she walks in like she's the witch that gives uh, Snow White the apple. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, and she, and they're just like acting like this bitch is normal. 
you know like if i saw that shit in the life i'm living i'd be like what the fuck is going on here but their their place is so shitty that they're just like ask bobby like what's up what's up lady someone like calm someone like shaban i think are incapable of like fulfillment on the island port can be and is happy on the island like as is and i think so often with like movies set in ireland and we'll talk about this a little later um a little further down but everything just comes off as like oppression and despair and uh loneliness and boredom and just get me the fuck out of this place and i i i you get you definitely get some of that I don't think I don't think anybody had that except for uh, Shaban. I felt yeah. like most people were just there, and that was their life. And there was a war, which meant they aren't leaving. I was a little bit. If we're talking about the war and the bleakness, it was weird that Shaban left when there was a war. I was very confused where she went. That wasn't going to get bombed. But I felt like the bleakness was mostly the people, um, but they all just seemed content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of the war, I, I did, to come down a, l- a tiny little bit, I did think the movie was like a little dismissive of the Irish Civil War uh, as like some silly dispute where like the two sides don't know what they're fighting over and it doesn't really matter and uh, this is all going to blow over and who gives a shit anyways. I mean, it was about like very real things. <laughs> it was about like very real disputes and like the two sides... Uh, I, I in my post Banshees of Inishir and reading like went on to form the current two Irish political parties who like are still in existence. So uh, I, I didn't. I that did kind of annoy me. We're like the. Um, but like, how long's how long the war? How long did that war go on? And at what I point think, in this movie is it? I think from like 1920 to 1923. Okay, and, so do we know ahead. what year this movie is? 1923. So it's oh. ending. Okay, so like, think about even looking at Ukraine now. It's like if you, there are people trying to live their lives in Ukraine, sure, with yeah, bombs falling in the background. I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, I think they were just used to it. It was part of their life. Is that the war hadn't come to them? It wasn't coming to them. Yeah, I, I, there's a distinction between like how the characters feel about it, which I think is is right and correct. Where like where they're untouched, no one's trying to claim Inisherin, which is like a fake made-up island anyways, but like islands exist in Ireland. Um, the war but, created a sense of like being trapped a little bit. I, I think it I think it was like a purposeful metaphor for like what's happening between Calm and Pork. And if I that's I don't case, do metaphors, so I don't I didn't catch that at all. Did if you that, say you don't believe in metaphors? No, I don't do them. Like they're really hard for me to think about and come up oh, okay. with. I don't okay. like it's it's too too many connections. Try and gotcha. Example, but not English. I don't believe in metaphors. Is great though. If you want that's that's not a thing. That's a lot. Simile, maybe <laughs> metaphors. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I think if, if I think if the movie is like some kind of metaphor for the Irish Civil War, well, okay, then like what are the characters doing? They're like self mutilated mutilated themselves for questionable reasons, and they're breaking up friendships. Uh, despite one side having really no real understanding of why this is happening, it's, it's, it, I mean, there's there's a, there's a movie, um, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, starring uh, Killian Murphy from 2007, which is about the Irish Civil War, and it, it makes it seem like the most important thing that was happening anywhere in the world at that time, not just for the characters, but just like period, <laughs> like it was it was like a, a fairly major event, 
like as far as civil wars go, pretty low casualties. Like like fourteen hundred people died over the course of like three years, which you know, Jesus, not that's nothing. literally that's like heart attacks a day in Indianapolis. You know what I mean? Like that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. I was I was shocked to to see that it was that low, but but still a meaningful event. And like this is also coming after like World War One and the Irish rebelling against the English, and then immediately after that, the Irish Civil War. So like a lot of stuff is happening in Ireland, and then like I just didn't. I if 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 the movie is this premise that I'm creating, which it may or may not be, then uh, that falls down a little bit. But you don't necessarily need any of that like background knowledge to know anything about um, the movie itself. Uh, I posted a Slate article, pretty long. Probably nobody read it <laughs> in the Discord. Oh, I it, missed it. Okay. I would have read it. That's my bad. It was about. Um, this movie's relationship to Irishness, not o- not not only like the specific period of the Irish Civil War, but like what is this movie trying to convey about the Irish? And uh, the 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 author didn't take too kindly to this movie um, in ways that I did and didn't agree with necessarily. But like the takeaway is Irish for like a hundred years. Irish authors, Irish playwrights, Irish filmmakers have been trying to put it, have been trying to put across like a specific brand of what it means to be Irish. And a lot of it is in Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, but you think of stuff like Angela's Ashes, which I haven't read, but I know it's about like a, a very poor child dying of starvation or something in the potato famine era, maybe. I don't know exactly. Uh, it's a sad story. Or stuff like The Wind That Shakes the Barley that I mentioned. Or stuff like um, Calvary doesn't really apply, but it's it's kind of in the ballpark. Where like, and, and Americans certainly do the same thing. Where like we're trying to present ourselves to the rest of the world in this way. And uh, when I think of France, so much of that is filtered through French movies. I think everybody in France is brilliant, including all the children, and uh, they can talk about fucking Voltaire and and Balzac and whoever they're learning about in fifth grade French history. But that, like, that's, a, that, that's a positive export to the rest of the world, whereas like the Irish export is like, everybody here is poor and dumb, and nobody wants to be here, and it kind of sucks to live in Ireland. But um, we sing good songs, right? Like, that's the impression. I don't know. Do you guys think about, like, as you're watching a movie set in a foreign place made by people who are more or less from that place, like what they're trying to convey to you about, about their life in like what daily life is like in Ireland or whatever country. I like movies that uh, I don't think any of these, this movie is a, a, an inside baseball look at daily life there because it's in 1923. Sure. I don't, I didn't think about any of that stuff. I thought, Oh God, 1923 everywhere was probably boring as shit. I don't know. Prohibition flappers. How how many people could afford that stuff? Newsies getting beat up. Yeah, but like they won that battle. I I, I saw <laughs> <recently>. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I took it. I, as, go ahead. I was just gonna say, for like until they mentioned, I may have missed this if they put it on the screen, but until they mentioned the Irish Civil War, I just thought this was like a modern day movie. <laughs> This is exactly, oh. okay, great, perfect, exactly. I was, I was like, yo, 
And and the thing was, I knew they were like living off the coast of Ireland, and I was just thinking like, it probably does suck ass like that, like this. Like there are people living like this place. It's like it fucking, it's just gotta suck dick. That's all I was thinking. Like I wasn't saying like this is a in a look into these people. I was just like, like this is. I know there's people like this, and it's gotta suck ass. Like, I mean, yeah, that that kind of thing is fascinating. Whereas, because like movies set in rural America, both contemporary and like in the past, like historical, they they don't make it look like a hopeless place. Make it look like. It, like it's, it's like the American, yeah, like the American flavor of it is like, um, we can improve this, we can tame the wilderness, we can uh, support our family with the, like through our efforts and through the land. That's have not you, the case, certainly. Have you watched this documentary about a basketball team called Medora? Oh yeah, I love that. Yes, I I love that yeah. movie. Okay, well, but like yeah, I like I said, not always. <laughs> I was just that gonna say for decline. one thing, I know those guys. Decline. Like if you if you went back to that kind of movie and like, like like the Grapes of Wrath isn't isn't a good comparison. That that movie is kind of about optimism. Not that I've seen the Grapes of Wrath. It's about naivety, probably more so. But the, like movies like Days of Heaven, I don't know if you guys have seen that, where it's like there is no more beautiful place than a wheat field somewhere in I want to say Missouri. In the, as far as that movie is concerned, what's all right? I'm gonna put together. Is there? I cannot come up with the name of this. Okay, what's the 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 book series where the girl volunteers as tribute? The Hunger Games. The Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Okay, so the Hunger Games girl is in the movie in the woods in Missouri. Yes. What movie is that? Oh, Winter's Bone. Okay, that is like the American version of rural America sad movie. Like, yes, that's that's like that's what I think of rural America. But having living in rural America and there's like cars in the yard, trash everywhere. Like that's what I think of. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Don't bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about. I'm thinking more about like historical set not contemporary set movies because everybody agrees in the 21st century that it's not a good place to be because the hope has run out but like the hope never existed in ireland the hope existed like a hundred years ago okay okay Wait, you got I'm, a dust, I'm we got a dust bowl movie for us kind of i mean i think that's when days of heaven is set i don't know i'm just i, I think dust bowl seemed pretty hopeless i mean yeah periods <laughs> periods of history <laughs> <laughs> and it's all based on, you know, uh, Manifest Destiny, Nathan, but not of course, Frederick Jackson Turner, you know, horseshit. But here nor there. I heard uh, that Freudian slip about to praise the KKK. Some other three named 19th century guy. Frederick Jackson Turner is a better, he's a little more interesting. He had, he had better things to write about the American frontier. Anyways, read the slate article. Maybe I'll post it in the notes, or I'll post it on the on the website after. It was it was really interesting as far as like as far as like how countries export their cultural um, ethos and like their, their their founding myths, what they want the world to think about when they so, watch one of these movies. So then, are you saying that Ireland has just been hopeless forever? Yeah, like. Here's here's another example. Um, 
in like the 2000s, uh, in the 21st century, there were a lot of directors that were coming out of Romania who were making movies that were doing very well on like the festival circuit, who were winning awards at like Cannes. And uh, it was a whole trend, the new Romanian cinema. And every single one of those movies I watched, I watched like five or six of them, it made Romania look like the worst place in the world. Everything is dark and gray. All the government officials are corrupt. There's no good people anywhere. Everybody's on the take. And you just have to scratch out a tiny living for yourself and hope that maybe your best friend doesn't fuck you over in the end, even though they probably will. And like that's that's like these a lot of times European movies, not just European movies, Canadian movies, most countries have like a national art department that funds tiny independent movies that are not commercial. And like this was certainly the case with the new Romanian cinema. So like the Romanian government is putting out these movies that the rest of the world is greedily lapping up, at least like the cultural or like the, the film watching part of the world. And the picture of the country is do not come here. Stay far away. This place sucks. <laughs> this place has sucked for decades, continues to suck now. And uh, there's no worse place to come to. I, 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 I'm glad those movies got made. A lot of those movies are pretty good, but it's just, I, I find that interesting. I find that so interesting. Yeah. I feel like if I went to Romania, I expect, I would expect it to be a place where the sun does not shine. Yeah. There is you get no to sun. Romania and you like have your kidney taken like immediately. Yeah. You're describing a film from the new Romanian cinema. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Back to Banshees of Inishirin, last couple things. Uh, you mentioned Dominic and Shaban, uh, JR in the negative, Brian in the positive. Let's fight it out. No, opposite. I like them. No, oh, you said bad things about them. I said yeah. good things about them. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. What the fuck? I said they were my second favorite characters right after Fodger. <laughs> okay. I must have misunderstood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I did too. But on my first watch, I had this as an A minus because specifically of Dominic. Uh, I, I love that actor. I'm not going to say his name correctly. I'm just going to say Barry Keegan. That's not how it's pronounced. That's kind of how it looks and sounds. Or it like, looks like it should sound. That's not it, though. Uh, he's great in so many things. He was great in The Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell from a few years ago. That's a very weird movie right up my alley. Uh, his character here... He's like very physically busy. He has a lot of texts. He's kind of a noble sufferer type. He's too honest for his own good. Uh, he's got an abusive past. And Siobhan, on the other hand, is like clearly the smartest person on the island and like a truth teller and uh, in a way an audience surrogate because everybody else is a little unknowable with their weird Irish, Irishness, Irish stubbornness. The second watch, I didn't really feel that way. But uh, I have seen that criticism come up a few times in relation to this movie. Like, it's a, it's a minor thing. I think both of those actors, Carrie Condon as Siobhan and Barry Keegan as Dominic, uh, are charming enough to, like, overshadow those flaws, if they even exist. But did you? what did you guys think of, of first Dominic? Brian? Uh, he, he might have been my favorite character. He brought comedy and honesty and i felt like his physical performance was very well done 
having, I don't know, been around students with Tourette's. I thought it was like you're all anytime you're you're doing something um, that involves a disease, you're always risking it coming off terribly and offensive. Sure. And, and it, it didn't. Like, so that's a big win. It's not like he's diagnosed with anything over the course of the movie. Right. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. People call him a um, a gob, I think. Whatever that is. <laughs> I'm sure it means something very specific in, in uh, Irish, in Ireland, 1923. I think they call him a gob, right? Is that right? Gom? Maybe it's a gom. I don't know. There's lots of Irish terms. J.R., what do you think of Dominic? I like Dominic. Uh, this is a dude that's... He's dumb, but not in the same way, obviously, as uh, Podrick. But like like you were saying, uh, even he was able to, you know, call people out on their bullshit as, as mm-hmm. the movie went on. You know, Porrick, Porrick, whatever, said, he's like, yeah, I told this dude his dad died. And he's like, what the fuck, bro? Like, you were like one of the good people. Like, that's like, what the fuck is wrong with you over here? And so uh, to see him die, pretty sad. But that's the sacrificial lamb is the two good people, you know, and Siobhan leaves the two good people in the movie actually get out of the, get off the island in some way, you know, last words, get off the island. Uh, She leaves and is like making an actual life somewhere. And he, his only escape is to die from his terrible brother and the one, Father. you know, yeah, yeah, sorry. He's got two, two good people. He's got, he's around that he thinks of. And it's Siobhan and Podrick. Podrick's gone down the shithole and then Siobhan leaves. And so his only escape is to die. So who knows? Maybe he killed himself. He's like, this isn't even worth it anymore. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, that, I don't think that's likely. That's a likely read. So it's, you know, pretty sad for him to go, but it it seemed like a the necessary uh, conclusion of his mm-hmm. story in the movie. But then Siobhan, she she's good. She's probably right below Dominic, right for me. But just her being like totally in recognizing that this dude is. A fucking psychopath calm and trying to stop her brother the best you can. She but totally dude, gets it. She totally gets it. Too. Yeah. She's like, this dude's a fucking psycho, bro. You gotta leave him alone. And That's she's trying I mean. her best. But I mean, can't. she gets what Colm is doing. I think she totally gets it. I'm, I mean, I'm so with Colm. What do we mean by I'm gets so it? With Colm. She she understands what he's doing. She understands that he's serious. And she feels some of that herself. Yes, but she goes away from this man. She's not a psychopath. Yeah, she leaves. Yeah. This guy's like, she's like, I can't be around. This dude calls it out. She's like, yeah, this dude's a psycho or a dull idiot. It's not working for me either. I'm going to make the move, but I'm not going to ruin this guy's life and ruin my own life doing this. Because I'm not a serial killer psychopath <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Brian, calm, calm is literally the worst character. Like he's no. the he's the no. worst type of human that's not just a mass murderer. 
I totally get calm. I'm 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 with calm all the way. Uh, uh, I, the internet says a gom is just a fool or a foolish yeah, person. Yeah, I love with Dominic that there's a clear hierarchy, at least as far as Pork is concerned. Like he's the Dominic to calm, and then once he gets dumped by by calm, he has to pick up like a lower tier friend that they probably joked about in their happier days. And like he's falling down the hierarchy of this of this island. Uh, and it's, it's again, another point for Calm where Pork is talking about how niceness is valuable. I'm nice. My father's nice. My parents were nice. My sister's nice. And you see just how completely useless that is with how quickly he throws it away with, with the musician you mentioned, JR, like telling him his dad is dead. It was a very funny scene, but a very mean thing to do. Cruel thing to do. Uh, but there yeah. was... I, I, I wish I had written it down, but I really liked when Dominic uh, is going over to their house and tries to hit on Siobhan, like the least intelligent person going after the smartest, most beautiful, possibly only woman on the island other than the witch. Mm-hmm. And she just shoots him down in an instant. Like, it's not even considered. I thought that was a great scene. And at the same time, she's very she's very kind to him when he essentially proposes to her. Uh, by the lake. She can do both. She can, right. like, tell this guy to fuck himself and she can gently let him down. Right. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to this movie. I, I I really love it. I'm trying to throw in little piecemeal criticisms, but I don't really feel them. I, I really love this movie. And I feel like if I watch it again, it might uh, rise in my in my best of 22 rankings uh last th- any anything we missed on banshees of inishirin before mo- we move on uh use of the word feckin sure feckin i had never heard that word i it's, it's a good one to add to your vocab yeah and then they they do still say fucking so it must be when they really mean it <laughs> anything else jr <laughs> watch the movie it's good uh, a house burning down is fucking great yeah. Following through, who's the psychopath? A, <laughs> a house burning down is good. I'm just going to cut that out. <laughs> play this out. Play this at my funeral. Jr. had one thing to say. Yeah. Uh, Our next movie is Elvis. Uh, this is a movie starring a relative newcomer Austin Butler, directed by Baz Luhrmann. He of Romeo Plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge and. Uh, the Great Gatsby, uh, a director who uh, never met a pan that he couldn't, or, or like a trans, a scene transition that he couldn't dress up with rhinestones and blaring music and just the most over-the-top direction uh, possible from the most over-the-top director possible. Uh, initial thoughts on Elvis, a movie that is essentially a cradle-to-the-grave biopic of Elvis, but picks out a cup, a, hand, a handful of uh, major events in his life. Uh, Brian, Elvis, what'd you think? Uh, I know people are so upset about the director and the pizzazz. I'm fine with all that. It's just like an artistic choice. Uh, Austin Butler carried every single person through the whole movie. Tom Hanks has never been worse. JR, Elvis? Ha- has bad learning. Has Baz Luhrmann ever, ever, ever in his life, one time, 
seen a black person in real life? <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of a good question. Like this movie fucking sucked from the beginning to the end. I don't know how this has is getting nominated for anything other than best actor. I think like six or seven nominations, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like it's got it's like the third highest nominations, I think, and it's. It's astounding to me how this is happening from the beginning to the end. I mean, the first five minutes, I was watching it with my girlfriend for five minutes, and the first five minutes were happening, and she got up, and I was like, where are you going? And she said, I'd rather work than watch this movie. And I never saw her again, and I had to finish the movie by myself. Have you seen her since? Yeah, I've I've seen her since. (laughs) This would be Elvis, the breakup movie. Uh, the first 15 minutes were real bad. I didn't want to turn it back on, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, um, and and also Tom Hanks. And the thing is, I don't think Tom Hanks... Tom Hanks was not good, but I don't think they even gave this man the possibility to be good. I, I would agree with that. I don't think there's anybody that can play this role. And in the way that he has to be the narrator... In a way that it's essentially like a deathbed confession. What accent, weight, makeup, it it yeah, it's it's a poison pill. You yeah. no, you find somebody. How many overweight Southern old white guy actors are there that aren't super famous? You have I, I mean, so the, many people. There's there has to be a thousand guys who could have filled that role and been this less. This guy's gotta have a. This guy's got to have a fucking Dutch, learned English Dutch accent. What are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, this is like a this has been a trend recently, and like Colin Farrell from Banshee's Going to Share, and I mean he did he just recently did it too with like the Penguin and the Batman movie, where like you could just find a weird looking New York ish Italian ish guy to be the Penguin. But instead, you have to spend. Yeah, Colin Farrell instead has to spend like four hours in a makeup chair every day, being made to look unrecognizable. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a bad labor market for your southern adjacent fat colonel types. Uh, but yeah, Elvis. It sounds like Jr. You would classify this as a bad bad movie. I think this is a good bad movie. I think this. I think this is a like objectively a bad movie. I think it is just a just a terrible script. I think every choice is weird or outright wrong. Uh, I still I still had a lot of fun with it, <laughs> and not in like a uh, point and laugh kind of way. In like a this music is good. This is filmed interestingly, I guess. And again, like Austin Butler, Austin Butler is like unreservedly great like in the category of musician biopics i think this is absolutely in the top tier if you have rami malik at the bottom and you have uh joaquin phoenix somewhere near the top as johnny cash austin butler is is right up there right up there his like his version of elvis is extremely physical it's like a religious experience for him every time i love all the fist uh, like all the elvis stuff he does um it's you know, it's exaggerated a little bit which i think is appropriate for this kind of movie just like if it look it seems like every time he's like 
pumping his arm. He's about ready to like seriously hurt himself. And all the all the shaking and oh my gosh, I loved all that stuff. I thought it was so I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely great. He completely he can he single-handedly raises this movie from like a D plus to a B minus, which is where I'm at. Because oh. a movie that a movie that I am as shockingly, trust me, shockingly emo- like affected in the last like 45 minutes or so as I am by this movie can't be any less than that. It, 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 it's transcended the C grade. It, it's got to be into the B's. I would say that Austin Butler brought this movie from a solid F minus minus sure. to a D plus. <laughs> hey, that's a long way to go. This is, this is truly, truly terrible. And, and even then, I want to give this movie a zero now that I've seen Austin Butler now thinks he's Elvis. Yeah, I, I have not seen any of those videos. They seem bad. <laughs> like, he's like, voice is deeper and literally just speaks like Elvis now. And it's like, it, infuriating. I'm infuriated <laughs> by this. But I, I will say, he is great in this movie. Like you said, he and he hams it up. Everything is way over the top. But this is an absolutely over-the-top movie. I mean, how many flashbacks happen in this fucking movie to black people playing music while Elvis is just playing their song? That's the only time you see these people. I mean, this, it's a bad movie. The decision to start out this movie with a 1990s black person, I bet you're wondering how I got here. You know, scrap, like record scratch with... Fucking Tom Hanks in a fat suit and a hook nose saying, I bet you're wondering how I got here and how Elvis is dead. Some people say it's my fault. Let's that let's go back to the beginning. What a and then fucking he's gotta narrate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The whole like constantly. What how does this movie get made? If I'm reading this screenplay, some if I have a billion dollars and someone's like give me 15 bucks to make this movie, and I read this screenplay, I say, no fucking way. This is getting made in this form. No way. I, I mean, I, yeah, like, all that, all that's fair. I, I it just... <laughs> it doesn't I, make sense to me. I just, I can't, den- I can't deny that I had a good time with it. Uh, <laughs> to return to the question of if Baz Luhrmann has ever met a black person, um, do you, do you guys do you guys generally like his other movies? Romeo Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Great Gatsby. I mean, th- those are the main three. Great Gatsby sucked. I haven't seen that uh, one. Moulin Rouge, I liked it, but that's just my like everything musical gets bumped up. It's Fair. probably like, and I also haven't seen it since probably two thousand six, let's say. And so this might be one where I, you know, I was. How old would I have been? Fourteen the last time I saw that. So, if I watch that now, I might be like, "This also sucks." So maybe this dude, and I haven't seen Romeo and Juliet. Maybe I don't like anything this guy makes. Is a possibility. And I mean, I, I just don't like his style. I've only seen Romeo and Juliet of any of his movies, really. And I mean, he gets a great performance out of uh, Harold Perrineau in that in that movie as um as like an ecstasy toting Mercutio. I think he's Mercutio in that movie. If I remember my Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I mean, yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. That that movie. That I think that movie is also a lot of fun. I think it's like a good, like pop, like a, a very much like an MTV generation version of that story. Um, Brian Boz Lerman. Uh, I have not seen Romeo and Juliet since high school. I don't think I have either. Yeah. Or M- Moulin Rouge, maybe since then. I think Moulin Rouge fits though. Chelsea and I saw that in Chicago last year, like on the, on the in a theater mm. and so it's sort of like meant to be more spectacular than a biopic would be <laughs> so i imagine yeah. it's good if i rewatched it i mean like the the biopic part of it or like the boz lerman making a biopic part of it it's all in like those interstitials with like the like the rap like the rapid fire uh sequins and like super quick camera zooms into the into the Vegas sign and and all that shit and then the rest of it is is pretty standard like musician biopic stuff I think you can overcome like the the walk hard curse like uh walk hard so humiliated musician biopics that you have to like take that into account if you're gonna make another one of these I think how you get around it is if you so completely ignore it that you are almost making a parody of walk hard by making like an earnest musician biopic. And I do kind of think that's what's happening here, where it's just like these extremely artificial arcs and these great tragedies that happened in Elvis's life. And, and the has to think about his whole life before he, uh, before he plays a song, only in this case, the person saying that is the Colonel instead of Elvis. All that stuff is, all that stuff is in this movie. (laughs) Right. I had a hard time telling like, what was true and what was made up and like i know biopics are gonna like fiddle with the truth a little bit but i feel like you watch um the johnny cash one and you learn about his life and like mostly what happened i have no idea if any of this was true about i think it's pretty true (laughs) the timing the timing makes no sense like brian uh, as like the comeback special so mlk dies in early April, is killed in early April, and Robert Kennedy is killed in early June. When do you think this comeback special is being filmed in that period? I don't have the slightest idea. I think the movie, like, all but says it's happening, like, the day after MLK was assassinated. Did you get that sense, JR? It seemed real close. I thought time. the comeback special was recorded when... Robert Kennedy got shot, Bobby? In, no. in real life, it was recorded in late June of that year. So, yeah, Robert Kennedy's dead as they're filming it. And it doesn't get released until December. Yeah. It's, as Tom Hanks, they, as, as the colonel insists, Elvis is going to play Santa Claus is Coming to Town over and over and over again. Well, they do, they do take the time to stop while they're recording the the comeback thing to look at the screen talking about Robert Kennedy getting shot, don't they? Or is that a different fucking scene? It's so muddled. It's so muddled. Yes. The comeback special did end with like Elvis singing that if I can dream or whatever, whatever song it is, he didn't actually write it and it didn't. And again, it didn't air until months later, but you the the movie makes you think it's all happening live and like Elvis has now become like the civil rights icon 
piggybacking off of MLK's assassination. Uh, yeah, just none of that is none of that is real, <laughs> and it just speaks to like a further villainization of the colonel, who, for all intents and purposes, was like a villainous character. But uh, Elvis, in relation to race, is this incredibly thorny issue. Uh, th- there's a documentary from 2018 called The King. I think I mentioned it before, where one of Elvis's Cadillacs is, it's a documentary, and uh, the premise is like one of Elvis's Cadillacs is driven like across America to all the major locations of his life. And various musicians and actors pop into the backseat to talk about Elvis. And they like really get into all the all the music that Elvis stole and like didn't give credit to. And I mean, the, the movie also acknowledges this, but it's it, it 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 makes the viewer think that everybody is totally fine with this it's it's every time they mention it it's in a a flashback and they're like i was friends with mahalia jackson and then mm-hmm. boom 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 like oh he has this grand memory of watching these guys sing boom 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 let me sing their song instead of it being like these dudes are getting like fucking their shit kicked in by the KKK mm-hmm. and this is the music they're playing and this white dude is just like I'm gonna fucking take this music and you yeah. know how I feel about that Chuck fucking D said it okay exactly Elvis yeah. was a racist <laughs> as a matter of fact motherfucking man John Wayne yeah uh, I, I like the the woman who wrote Hound Dog is like in the movie singing in a bar like she couldn't she couldn't use some rights from the song that Elvis obviously ripped off of her, but Elvis is just around listening to her sing and she's probably totally cool with him. And he can like show up on Beale street in Memphis and be like welcomed as the King of the town. And I mean, I mean like I totally buy that Elvis like through his upbringing was comfortable around black people and like had had you know the quote unquote black friends, but it's just so so uh, pathetic to think that uh, th- like the movie is going to pretend that nobody had an, any issue at all with him like ripping off all this music, and like the the keystone moment of the movie that I think makes it into the good bad movie that it is is very early on. This might have been when your girlfriend left the room, Jr. Is, when, it, is it Elvis catching the Holy Ghost? Oh no, I thought that was great. I, I, I actually, I did like that. That's just like a total Southern like bullshit tent revival thing, Listen, where like of course everything is infected with like gospel music and and then like well, the, yeah, but but him going in there and fucking spazzing out—that's when I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. It's hot as shit in those tents. People, <laughs> people like lose control of their faculties. But, like, the, the scene that I'm talking about is when um, they hear Elvis playing, the colonel and, like, his crew hears Elvis playing on the radio for the first time. And the colonel is like, oh, no, we could never, we could never get this in our act. And then it pans in real close to Cody Smith McPhee, where he's like, oh, no, he's white. That's and then the it pans, thing. That's and then it pans the- back into, El- into, Tom, into the colonel's face, like, oh, he's, he's white? <laughs> Like the movie is as corny as it could possibly be in these moments. They literally said he's white four times in thirty yeah, seconds. Yeah, a whole bunch. And everybody was just like, "Oh my gosh, can't believe it! Can't believe it!" 
it, it, I mean, yeah, bad, good, good, bad, whatever. No, bad, bad. <laughs> I do. Bad, bad. I do briefly want to talk about just the way that I am brought around to this movie. I think, and Brian, maybe you can back me up here because I don't think I'm gonna get any support from Jr. <laughs> the when Elvis is composing his like Vegas intro, I think that's one of like the best scenes of the year. You're where, gonna have to help me remember this scene. Where he's like bringing in his backup singers and the drums and the bass and the horns and and he's just like doing his Elvis accentuations oh, for each one. Right. He, he's like composing the ba da ba ba da ba. I was like lifted out of my seat in theater when I when I first saw that. I thought that was fantastic. And then from that moment, when you see how happy he is to be like performing live again. And to like be intimately involved with the music, with the band. And he has this great performance in Vegas. And the whole movie from that point on is just becomes this, I think, really affecting tragedy all the way to the end, where even this like incredibly popular and powerful person couldn't do what he wanted to do. And and you only see like fat Austin Butler at the very end in like one or two scenes. And then that transitions to live Elvis. And I, I think that is just like one of the most sad and pathetic and like really true and revealing portraits of this guy who is like so energetic and so powerful in like his prime. And now his like piano is covered in Diet Cokes and he has to have someone else hold the microphone for him. And he still sings really well, but you can tell he's like clearly on his last on his last legs. See, I think you go from your favorite scene, uh, which is fine, and the whole time I'm thinking, did any of this actually happen? And then no more than 15 seconds later, you're at a table with Tom Hanks ruining the movie some more. It's hook nose. It's very distracting to think of a good scene because Tom Hanks is in the next a one. Consistently good scene that he that he isn't like ruining the illusion of. I mean, yeah, I, that's that's totally fair. But just I, I I'm just I'm completely on board in the in those last forty minutes or so because I want Elvis to be able to go to Japan. Is that so difficult? Clearly, I will clearly say it's very I, difficult. I had no fucking clue that this dude never left the country except to serve. It's quote yeah. unquote serve. That didn't know. So it's like. You know, there were things I found out as it as far as a biopic biopic. God damn it. Every mm. time I always say biopic. But as far as a biopic goes, you know, it did its job of. I learned some stuff about Elvis, but as far as being a good movie. No. This is this is laughably bad. Like I there were multiple times where I was laughing like, yeah, like you, we've got written down where his him and his mom going to kiss? What the fuck was that? I'm like, legit, yeah, they, I'm like with you. I'm with you on that. I was like, this is some weird shit. Like, I think it is established. That they have, I think it is like his, like well established that they had a very close relationship. Whatever you want to read into that. I'm not saying they were like, I'm not saying they were incestuous necessarily. They just had a very close relationship. Uh, anything else on Elvis before we move on to our final movie? Is this movie should not be watched. It's got to go into like this is bad, bad. This is not Zoolander one. It's Zoolander two. Ooh, gosh, that's harsh. That is harsh. That is a truly terrible movie. Yeah, 
that's how I felt watching. Okay, this. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like I said, it's <laughs> it makes terrible choice after terrible choice, and uh, it's notable that of all of its Oscar nominations, it sure shit didn't get anywhere near writing. I think everybody, I think even Boz Lerman would agree on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, the costumes look great. Austin Butler's great. It did make a lot of money. It made a lot of money. Which at this stage of like theater going, I I, I have to I, whatever it is, even if it's a movie I hate, uh, ticket returns they gotta happen. It's all going away otherwise. Uh, our last movie is a movie that did not show in theaters. Uh, nice little segue there. Uh, it's Kimmy, directed by Steven Soderbergh, personal favorite Steven Soderbergh, extremely pr- prolific director, uh, who I think and we can talk about it. I think makes like the first and possibly only good COVID movie. Uh, Not that I'm necessarily salivating for a whole bunch of those, but it's about a tech worker living in, I think it, uh, wherever she's living, she's living on the West Coast. And uh, she is agoraphobic and she doesn't want to leave her apartment. And she works as a, a tech person, a tech liaison for, for an Alexa esque device. And uh, she overhears, a bit of a snippet of sound of noise that sure sounds like someone is being assaulted. Uh, that's been picked up by this Alexa device called Kimmy. Kimmy is the device. And uh, she has some difficulty running that up through the corporate ranks, the corporate hierarchy. Uh, JR, what do you think of Kimmy? I think not showing this in theater was a good decision. <laughs> Straight I, to I... VHS. <laughs> yeah. This is this is Lion King too, right? Like Oh god. <laughs> okay, it might not be that bad, but I I did not enjoy this movie and and like every other Steven Soderbergh movie I've seen thoroughly enjoyed them. Logan Lucky, fucking great. great. Like even Ocean's 12 is like enjoyable. It might not be like good, but I'm enjoying them, you know. But this is like I I feel like a crazy person when I hear you like this movie. I, I yes, very much. I I don't understand what the the appeal is of this movie at all. It was slow when it felt like it shouldn't be. It was everything was heavy-handed like and this may be me like more tech, right? Where I'm just like watching these movies and I'm just like I'm like, that's bullshit. That's bull. You know, like, but ev- everything about it just felt like it could have been better. Every nothing about it was horrible. Everything could have been better. The hacker scenes, the the chase. What kind of fucking chase is that? These dudes. Why are these dudes not sprinting? How is this woman out? <laughs> how's this woman out running these these dumbass? They might be dumbass hitmen. But you typically you, you're not you're not gonna look like me if you're a hitman. You're gonna be like out here killing people and whatever. But I mean, it's just like everything about it. You know, you go scene to scene. I'm like, this is like this could have been better. This one could have been better. How hard are we gonna foreshadow the? Hey, my dad used to. I played with. Fucking! Are you doing a Zoe Kravitz impression right now? No, no, I'm doing. I was doing a Colonel 
whatever impression. <laughs> oh, we're back to Elvis. <laughs> yeah, but you're like, like how, like we're going the second time she speaks, she's gonna talk about how, how her fucking, how she's so good and knows everything about this nail gun, like. You know, she can so, just instantly tape it up and use it as an actual gun better than an actual gun. That was Yeah, like <laughs> we're we're really talking about a movie where you the that said, I'm bored, and then she starts getting chased and I'm like, how does she get back home to to use this nail gun? Like that like there's there's no surprise, there's no fun. It it wasn't fun. And it felt like it should have been fun. It should have felt like it it felt like it should have been, I should have enjoyed the hacking more and everything like that. Like the hacking should have been like half the movie. And then the second half was running for her life. And it felt like that was not the setup. The The hacking was boring. She's just like talking to this dude and not really doing a lot. And then not really doing a lot after. And then all of a sudden she's fucking John Wick. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I, the the heavy handed foreshadowing. Uh, they even. I also want to bring up that they mentioned the FBI protests, and then all of a sudden later in the chase, she's going to the FBI. <laughs> what yeah. what could possibly happen? What will <laughs> she find there? Uh, uh, Jared, we talked about the carpentry skills. Yeah, that the hacking part, and then they have like the main hacker who is requesting you know tens of thousands of dollars from people is living with his grand. mom. He's living with his mom with his six screens yeah. that are like loaded with LEDs and things and his computers. It's just a lot of tropes. I, I get. I like. I like the summary of everything could have been done better. Like names, especially her form on the bike. That could have been a lot, lot better. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, I. I she she was shaking all over the place like she was <laughs> dancing. Oh my gosh. I gave this movie a B plus <laughs> because I was along because I went along with its vibe. Uh, it's a paranoid vibe. It's a throwback to movies like it, specifically, specifically a movie called Blowout, which we saw at an Ebert Fest, Brian, together. Oh yeah, where, uh, where a sound technician overhears something that he's not supposed to, and then gets pulled into like uh, a conspiracy. Uh, I thought it, 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 it had a lot in common with that. And, I mean, we didn't really like that movie. I think part of it was just how uncomfortable we were in that theater. God bless it. Uh, I think my knees still hurt. <laughs> the old Virginia theater. Struggling yeah. a little bit. Framped ass seats. The specifics of any of those movies, I don't feel like... I'm talking about, like, Clute and, like, All the President's Men... And Three Days of the Condor and Blowout. And, and these are all like 70s, 70s, 80s movies. There was a whole bunch of them. In the wake of like Watergate and like the church committee and like, holy shit, the CIA is doing all kinds of crazy stuff that we didn't know about before. Uh, there's all there's this underground network of assets and tools that the elite have the ability to get their hands on. The specifics of it are less important than the general vibe of of looking over your shoulder, if someone's always listening, the conversation is another great one that has a great reputation anyways. I haven't actually seen it from Francis, Francis Ford Coppola, starring Gene Hackman. Uh, and it's the same vibe in Kimmy because 
we created the world we were afraid of in the 70s. Like we put all these listening devices in our house, in our pockets, and we made these theoretical goons jobs so easy for the ability to like be able to play some song off of Spotify at a moment's notice. I, I'm just I'm so into I'm so into that vibe and that commentary and that like observation about the modern world that I don't really that I, I'm certainly not going to be able to critique Kim or the the main characters whose name I don't remember. Yeah, her, that's because this movie sucks. Anyways, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to critique, I'm not going to be able to critique her her like bike form. Or, um, but, but I feel that's like not what this movie's boring. about. I feel like hacking is boring. So, it, I mean, it is people sitting in front of a, a computer screen. It's not Swordfish, where the hacker is like has to has to hack so fast while he's getting blown, or John Travolta is going to shoot him in the head. Like, my my issue is like, so the movie becomes I, I, paranoia, which like focus on that, and then she she makes it out of the house, which is fine. But then once she's out, it's almost like she's magically cured by the sunlight and paranoia oh, is gone. So Soderbergh, the last several years, like High Flying Bird was a recent movie that uh, we reviewed. And like that movie was like purposefully filmed with an iPhone the whole time. That was a movie I love, not because it was filmed with an iPhone, but just because Soderbergh is a kind of person who is like always trying to find ways to uh not necessarily make his movies cheaper but like find ways to adapt new technology that isn't necessarily reliant on like the very expensive equipment from the past um digital cameras have obviously gone a long way towards making that easier for him but he he's he's very much about like breaking down financial barriers so that people like him can make more movies in a place in a in an environment where like movie budgets get smaller and smaller uh and that's relevant here because like that when she, when she first leaves the apartment, the movie becomes like for like five minutes, it becomes like a horror movie where like the angles are all weird. And she, Zoe Kravitz's character is like taking on this extremely physical performance of like hunched and, and paranoid and looking down the whole time. And the movie and, and like the camera is, is watching her like move from like the corner of the frame into um, into it like she's not centered in the frame. It's it's all made to look extremely disconcerting and and off putting. And I, I don't think she like turns herself around until her life is in danger, and that like snaps her out of it, which I think is totally fine. Like just I that adrenaline. I will agree with that, and I think that's the best part of the movie. That ten minutes before she starts running. So from the time she gets out of her house, she goes on this trip, and then she's in, talking to this lady, freaking out a little bit, takes her pills, comes back, and then has to go. Was that 10 minutes of the movie? Yeah, I, give or take. Yeah, that's it. That's the best. That's the best. And the rest of it is is not good. I mean, the, the like, truly, we watch this woman getting chased around for what seems like it felt like an hour because it was done. It I felt like it was done so poorly mm. and it, and you're, you're saying this is a, 
movie about the paranoia of living with these things and it doesn't it did not feel like that movie to me at all it felt like a movie about a person who's dealing with shit and and it's not about the paranoia of living with things it's about some it's just someone's dealing with shit and they've got to deal and and then they've got to break out of that to do and it just to do something whether it's in an environment where there are where there are all these listening devices and modern technology that that's like yeah that just happens to be part of it it's like that's fair this could this movie could could have been done in 1970 and or sorry in uh 1770 and you think ninjas are listening to you and you've got agoraphobia and you know and it has nothing to do with the fact that we've got these people it's just that was a way to get this person out of her house and have to deal with the shit and i i don't think it was done well the main part of the movie which is that is pushing a person outside of their boundaries that they're comfortable with and seeing how they go back again how they come through that or whatever you want to say go against how they are actually feeling the what is it it's a rat like you put a rat and they got to get go through they'll fucking chew through your stomach like mm-hmm. that's what this yeah, movie yeah. is but it's not done well that's how that's how i felt about this movie i don't know i feel like if this was a movie about how we've now surrounded ourselves with everything that gets us into that's always listening and always on and whatever this doesn't lead itself into a a, a fifty minute chase with some fucking pow 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 with a, a thing at the end. It, I I think it's like I, I, I do think it's it's very evenly split between that between like the 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 listing devices and like the obvious the obvious. Um, uh, cra- the obvious crappiness of like the, the user agreements and like the supposed fail safes that these for-profit companies are putting into these devices, and how easy it is for like a motivated party to get around them, and then it moves into the power that the consumer has given to like the bosses of these companies and their ability to like n- to to move through society without respecting any laws. To like th- to thwart the to thwart laws to like flout or flout laws to think to to have become so powerful that they're that they become above uh, normal society. Yeah, I think if it's if it's that kind of movie though, they they show the boss more, and it becomes more of like a a, a law drama, or there's more of the recording stuff involved. Like I felt like that's just not where they went with this. I I 100% agree with you. This is, it felt like they wanted to somehow make an action movie with Zoe Kravitz, so they made up a reason to do it. Like they were like, uh, uh, Alexas are everywhere. Like we'll have her be as someone that can hear them. Like, and they were just like, let's let's get to the action. Like it felt like a bunch of ham-fisted shit to get to the action. And it, I have I have two more questions that mm-hmm. maybe you can answer. One, how did they clear out the massive office floor right before the chase? Like all of a sudden there were no more employees, which is magic. I don't know what happened. Also, I'm 99% sure you can't turn a phone on that has been powered down. 
or they do that during the chase. Oh gosh, I mean, I feel like that's just another hack, right? No, once if the CPU's off, you can't. Can be it, it, unless you had, unless you had put or, like uh, put, you know, malware on there. Well, yeah. How did they put malware on her phone? Uh, because it's connected to it's like a term of employment or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, d- I feel like, but they it's didn't. Connected if to... if if it's a term of employment, they don't even have to hit up. They don't have to pay this hacker fifty G's. <laughs> who then is like seems to be thwarted for a little bit by the fact that you just turned her phone. <laughs> I just gave you fifty thousand I mean, dollars, but you don't think that's out? purposeful? Like uh, you can, you can, you can skirt all of this surveillance by just not participating, but everybody freely participates anyways. I don't understand. Yeah, say that again. Say that again. You can, you can avoid, you can avoid all this surveillance in the movie by turning. You can, you can thwart Yuri, who lives with his mom, who P.S. is might just be taking care of his elderly mom. <laughs> like it doesn't. He not, the house is the the house or the apartment, or whatever, might be his, and he's taking care of her. I didn't I read that. that as, I didn't read that as computer guy lives with his mother and like <laughs> cooks him macaroni and cheese. Why and would they even put her in there if he? Like seriously, what are they trying to develop Yuri's character in the fifteen seconds he has? I mean, yes, I think it's like a tiny detail. Like, why show the CEO? In the first scene, like standing up with like athletic shorts on from like meeting in, from like a news interview with CNBC or something, it's just like the falseness of all of like it, it's the falseness of all of, of all of these interactions over screens and over the internet. But yeah, yeah. and speaking of speaking of that, because that's how everybody I imagine if you have to put your camera on in a meeting does it. The sure. best. COVID movie is definitely not this. It's going to be uh, Knives Out 2. Glass Onion? Uh, I mean, they could just kind of get... as Once they get their little their little nose vapor or whatever, I mean, the COVID stuff is over. Yeah, that's like so is this. <laughs> they all, in this movie, the two COVID things they show is the dude's taking a Zoom with his pants off, and then that's it. It's 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 again like the general vibe. Like you can tell, like she's had all these, re- she's had all these extremely flimsy relationships with people that she can see out of her windows, and you can just imagine them like yelling at each other during the pandemic, trying to keep themselves sane. But she, she's got agoraphobia because she got fucking assaulted. That has nothing to do with COVID. This this she could have been fucking. It could have been nineteen twenty. It can not, be two obviously. things. It can be two things. I mean, but it's not. That's the, her whole thing is that she's agoraphobic. Like it's not. It's not COVID. It's agoraphobic. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I don't. I I'm not searching out any COVID movies. I don't necessarily need them to happen. But if they do in the future, I think it'll it'll just be like little set details. Like she has masks on on her like uh, on her on her key stand. And um, she's constantly sanitizing her hands. It'll just be like little stuff like that. Like I don't think I don't I don't think there'll be any like there's not going to be any lab leak conspiracy movies. <laughs> like those aren't going to get made. <laughs> you are you I, are you being sarcastic? Yes. 
Uh, I mean, no, no, I'm not. I, I don't think. Uh, those I, are 100% going to be. Those are already being made. They will. They'll be, Daily Wire's probably made five of those already. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be Daily Wire. They'll be released directly to, to YouTube. It'll be fucking, it'll be like, it'll be bargain basement loose change. Which I, I feel like this movie might be. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a little harsh. For sure. This, I, this, that's I, a little I harsh, but this is. This is not a good movie, in my opinion. I'm this... in on the vibe. I'm in on, uh, like, I, I forgive, I, I forgive all, all the, like, uh, utility with the nail gun stuff, the calmness that she exhibits during that whole period. I forgive all of that just because she's so right to do it. Like, hitmen, corporate hitmen are in her apartment. Uh, she's just so right to kill them however however she can. It's just such a good thing to have them cleansed from the world that I don't really give a shit how she does it or how she gets there. Okay, how about how calm her also agoraphobic neighbor who just so happened to leave his house and get stabbed and be bleeding out is? I mean, within like the heightened pulpy nature of this movie and this genre, he's a recognizable character. He just happens to, he happens to be in the right place at the right time and He's, I, I like that that guy Devin Rattray, perhaps best known as Buzz from the Home Alone movies. I think he's doing a really good job showing how hard he's working to keep his shit together. And like it's very difficult for him to do so in this moment because he's been stabbed in the belly. <laughs> but it's it's the it's it's in the same area as the as her righteous vengeance as her righteous vengeance. Like this is just so wrong and so outside the bounds that it's the equivalent of like the mom pulling a truck off her off her kid i I, i'm totally okay with i'm just okay with all of that and like the just the general anti-surveillance air that's in the movie as well i'm just like yeah i'm totally on board for Uh, and yeah i understand where you're coming from i'm just saying it's it felt half-assed and a lot of this movie, to me, felt half-assed. A lot of it. That's kind of not crazy, because that's the way that Steven Soderbergh makes movies. He makes them very quickly. So, but like, like I think the last movie I saw from Steven Soderbergh was Logan Lucky. Nothing about that movie felt half-assed. Sure. It was yeah. fucking great. We watched uh, No Sudden Move probably most recently, as far oh, as... Oh, damn, it, yeah, okay. Yeah. That didn't work for really any of us. Um, definitely higher on High Flying Bird. I haven't but seen that movie, one. That movie, too, that movie's great. Check it out on Netflix, I think. But that movie, too, is in its way about a heist that might very well pull corners in like the in like the, the world of NBA agents versus NBA owners. Uh, but again, I just, I, I don't, particularly give a shit about the details if it feels true and that movie very much felt true in in the way that this movie as 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 pulpy and heightened as it is does also feel true to me uh anything else on kimmy before we wrap it up not worth watching oh gosh yep not worth watching all right solid not actively bad though i'd say this is probably just like a c and don't use smart speakers. It truly seems insane to me that anybody has them. 
I got like I got like ten. You fucking why? No, I do. Because he's he's his own contractor. He gets sent his own recordings, probably from Amazon. (laughs) One. (laughs) You're in European. You can just send you codes whenever you ask. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got a dude in Lithuania that does what I need. But (laughs) I have them because the thing is. I I have so many like I'm already in everyone's system. It doesn't fucking matter to me. I'm, I'm already not. I'm already a lost cause. I'm a consultant. I fucking work for all kinds of motherfuckers. I have to do I have to do like FBI level background checks like twice a year for shit. Like all my information is every in every system. I use Google Maps. I got an Android phone. I'm like I I it's over. Like it's over for me. So I'm like, I might as well get some convenience out of my life. <laughs> they got you. Like, yeah, like, they, you know, it's ladies and gentlemen, we got them. You know, like, they, <laughs> they've had me. I, I also work in tech, so I know a lot of these companies are dumber than you think they are. Some of them are oh, smart. No, I believe that. I definitely believe that. But it's like, it's, I'm, I'm of the, I'm a lost cause already, so. I'm I'm going to throw them in my house because I want to hear some music. I want to be able to hear. I want to be able to get my shit whenever I need it. I need answers from Google. I'm going to ask it. Do you really think it's that helpful compared to just pulling a phone out of your pocket? Yeah. It like, is. What kind of things are you saying that need to be solved? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I lived with Shane and his small and his larger child. Like the larger child would ask Google, like, "What's the biggest dinosaur or the biggest number?" <laughs> I kind of feel like, yeah, you just age into that as an adult. Like, who scored the most points ever in a game for the Denver Knights? <laughs> That's it. I okay. like I just every room I'm in. Uh, there's always random things I can't figure out, and lots of the time my phone's not even in the room with me. I might not be on a laptop. And I just go, hey, Google, who's that black guy that was in that movie when? Well, maybe you know, I should get one of these. <laughs> Google and I can <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like. <laughs> the the uh, yeah. biggest, the nicest one is I use my Google Homes as alarms. All right. So I'll just like, hey, Google, wake me up in 15 minutes and then take a nap. I mean, that's what I use my phone for, but whatever. I, it kind of seems like a distinction without a difference. Phone, home speaker. It's all the same. It's I'm sure all I the have, same. I'm sure I haven't fixed all of my settings on my phone. But but my point is, you can I can say, hey, Google, to my phone, or I can say, hey, Google, to a thing. Either way, they're listening to me. So, like, fucking... It's that. It's the listening that I just... It's, I mean, I live alone. I'm not talking to myself. I'm not saying my social security number out loud as I walk around my, my home at night. Um, it wouldn't catch that much stuff. But I just I would just never trust it. I saw that movie Megan today about um, the killer robot doll. Oh, the android thing? Yep. Yeah. It's fun. It's a fun movie. Um, I, 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 I would just buy. I buy whatever they want to tell me about... Uh, Machines that turn themselves on, 
they're they're syncing with all of your other devices. You just never know. I'll 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 buy it. I'll I'll, I'll always be convinced of the worst possible motives and capabilities. As referenced oh. by my appreciation for Kimmy. Yeah. I mean, it's fine to be, like, it's probably better to be super skeptical. But, like I'm saying, like, I'm already in their fucking system. So <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, if I, if I wasn't in their system, I'd be like, hey, don't do this. But it's not like, like, before, the, before smart speakers even hit the scene. These motherfuckers already had me, so mm. it's whatever. An optimistic, an optimistic vision of the future from uh, Jr. And <laughs> that'll do us for this episode of the Media Movie Club podcast. Uh, our next trio is um, Oscar nominees, Oscar hopefuls, or presumed Oscar hopefuls for uh, 2022. Um, we selected, bef- we we picked these movies before the nominees came out. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is one of the three movies that we picked. Uh, Justifiable, because uh, it got a shit ton of nominations. RRR, which was nominated for Best Song, was also picked. But that was it for RRR. And then I don't think the which, menu got which any. Song? Which song got nominated? The Natu Natu. The dance number in the oh, yeah. middle. Yeah, that's so fun. I made Chelsea watch just that scene from the home Presumably movie. they will be playing that at the Oscars. So that could be something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I imagine. A big dance scene. Either that sync that's winning or Black Panther Lift Me Up is winning if that got nominated. I mean, whatever. It's whatever whatever they played over the end titles of Black Panther, like who fucking remembers? <laughs> Doesn't I don't know, it's not integrated in the movie. That's like giving like a Lady Gaga song from Top Gun Maverick best song. And I, I haven't seen RR, but at least Not Too Not Too is like incorporated in the movie, right? It's like right in the middle. It's the okay. yeah, it's uh, huge. See, like a best original song to me. Everything else yeah. is like just grasping for Oscars. I mean, I'm just saying, I can see them giving it to lift me up. You're going to hear it on uh, the Super Bowl because it's a Rihanna song and she's performing okay. the halftime show. All right. That's our prognostication for the best original song category. Uh, stay tuned. Perhaps we'll get into um, best live action short for our next podcast episode. In the meantime, you can check us out at MediaCommovie.club. Reviews for all of these movies and many more. Like I said, I posted my best films of 22. Uh, piece that I do every year, every respective year. I don't publish the best 22 movies, 2022 movies every year. Um, what else did I put on the website recently? I don't know. Whatever I put on there. It's all inside pieces. I write a lot on the website. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Media Community Club, although we're using that less and less. Uh, Twitter at Media Community Club. Instagram at Media Community Club. Thank you for joining me tonight, guys. Yeah, no problem. See ya. Sorry I hated these movies you love. <laughs> Elvis forever. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs>